We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless. Welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, MLS playoff preview, UCL roundup, the Condor, Barca blushes, my big mouth, Burhalter's big brain, U.S. Women's National Team red flags, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Wednesday, October 12th? And for those that do watch the pod, you will notice that we are in different places. I come to you from the great city of New York. I'm here on a little junket, as they say, a little press junket getting ready for the World Cup. But you are man in the fort back there at the studio. You look great, my friend. How you doing? Doing well. Yeah, a little bit lonely um, today, but we'll get through it. Um, <laughs> well, why we'll are you in New York? Out. So, you know, we're, we're getting down to it when it comes to the uh, World Cup. And so myself and Rob Stone, Stu Holden and, and some others, uh, Jenny Taft, we're out here doing the rounds, doing some press for the World Cup, obviously, to get people excited about what we think is going to be an incredible World Cup from a Fox perspective and what we're doing. So, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing what we do. We are, you know, selling it. And uh, it sells itself, to be quite honest with you, but they bring us in anyway. And it's always fun to come back uh, here to uh, to New York, this city. I lived here many, many years ago. I lived in the city for a while. And then even before that, when I was uh, playing for the then Metro Stars, I, I lived in Secaucus right across the uh, Hudson River over there. It's a it's a great city. Uh, it has its ups and its downs and it's good and it's bad like everything else, but there is absolutely nothing like it. So we'll have a couple of ni- uh, nice days here and uh, nights here, and I'm going to meet them out here in a little bit uh, for dinner. And then uh, we'll bring it back uh, back to L.A. before we gear up for uh, for Qatar. Uh, have you watched anything or seen anything, my friend? I am uh, caught up on House of the Dragon. I have the newest episode of Andor waiting for me. I'm going to watch it tonight. And I've had two uh, shows recommended to me that I'm going to start binging. One is Sherwood. It's a British crime drama that I've heard is phenomenal. And another is Gloria, which is a CIA Cold War spy thriller 
um, that uh, my dad strongly recommended, and I've I've read some reviews, and they're very positive. So I'm going to watch both those shows. Nice, nice. Uh, all I have to offer is, you know, my fare when I'm coming across the country, and you know, oftentimes I will watch a movie, and, and and I'll be honest, sometimes it's playing in the background. But one of my favorite movies of all time is Three Days of the Condor, um, starring Robert Redford. Just a wonderful classic movie. Came out a long time ago. If you, if you get a chance, check it out. And so I watched that yet again. I just I love it, and I will always watch it. Um, it's like uh, it's like the verdict with Paul Newman. It's one of those classics that I I just I can't get enough of, even if I've seen it a hundred times. So I watched that, and then I felt you know I felt like you know what? Uh, obviously, with the news recently of uh, the passing of uh, the great Olivia Newton John, I threw on Grease. Yeah, started tapping my foot, started singing a little bit. And uh, put on Greece. So those were the two movies that I had going as I came across uh, our, our beautiful land uh, today. Um, you ready to light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. Well, as I mentioned, you know, with me traveling, there was all sorts of stuff uh, that is going on. We're going to get to uh, the Champions League stuff here in a second, but we're going to start it off because. You know, let's be honest. We finally have the matchups. We know what is happening when it comes to Major League Soccer. We, from a Fox perspective, will be doing the uh, the games come Monday. Uh, from a ESPN perspective, they'll be doing games on the Sunday, and our friends over at uh, at Univision will be doing games on Saturday. So we are all loaded up with MLS games. How do you want to do this, Moss? You just want to go through the uh, the matchups here and and kind of give some thoughts. Uh, yes, and we'll begin uh, with one that's near where you are right now. Uh, the Red Bulls uh, playing host to Cincinnati uh, in the Eastern Conference. That's the 4-5 matchup. Um, the Red Bulls in the playoffs for the 13th straight season. That's now the longest active streak because Seattle's streak is over. While Cincinnati playing in their first ever playoff game. How do you see this one? This is the one game where I pick the um, away team. And, well, maybe, but but certainly this is the one that jumps out of the page because I think that Cincinnati, as we know, coming into it, firing on all cylinders, scoring goals, your friend Brenner and everything else. And believe me, we're going to talk much more about Cincinnati later on in the pod. But um, I think Cincinnati wins this by going into New York. When I say New York, I mean New Jersey. And making sure that they don't change. And that's that that could be a a theme for a lot of these teams. You can't try to be something that you're not when the playoffs come along. And this is a Cincinnati team that doesn't get down when they let in goals, just keeps doing what they do, keeps scoring, doesn't try to get cute, doesn't try to play in a way that's not conducive to them being successful or a way that they haven't been successful through the year. Um, having said that, and, and, you know, the, the New York Red Bulls, they are not a flashy team. They're not even a very exciting team. And they are certainly, for a team that is based in the New York metropolitan area, not a team that is flashy and sexy and one that commands your attention. Uh, uh, your attention. As a matter of fact, a lot of people probably even follow the Red Bulls uh, this year. That's that's on them, not that they care, but that's, that, uh, that's on them. And so th- I think this is a, a really tight matchup. But I do have Cincinnati finding a way through just just but because there's something magical about it. I don't think that they get any farther, but I think this is the game that they go on the road and they find a way against the Red Bulls. What about you? You mentioned Brenner. Um, the Red Bulls have had an issue all season with lack of production from that center forward spot. But on decision day against Charlotte, young Elias Manuel bagged two goals. Be interesting to see if that gets him a start in this game, if the Red Bulls have uncovered something there because... 
you never know. This kid could emerge, and then all of a sudden they have somebody up there that can score goals. We'll sure. see. Uh, but I tend to agree with you. If Cincinnati play even reasonably well defensively, guys like Cameron and Miazga back there, they've got a great chance to win this game because the firepower they have going forward with Acosta, Vasquez, and Brenner is as good as pretty much any team in these playoffs. All right. Uh, you want to move on to something else? Yes. The 4-5 game in the West. The LA Galaxy will play host to Nashville. Just the second time in the last six seasons the Galaxy are in the playoffs. How do you see this one? So, I mean, we know that the Galaxy is kind of a tale of two halves of the season. And with, you know, the additions, uh, and Ricky obviously uh, uh, coming in, Pouge, uh, Granzier playing uh, better, Brugman coming in, these types of additions. And then a talent that they already had. So it's, it's, I guess, is this what the Galaxy really is? And of late, they absolutely have been. And so can they conjure that yet again? And from Nashville, we all know that it's, that it's Mukhtar. And so the LA Galaxy wins by, I think, just being what they are in this second half of the season and believing that they can do that. And Nashville wins, uh, I think by obviously Mukhtar having a big game. And it's it, and I know it's a little simplistic to say you shut down Mukhtar and you shut down Nashville, but I mean there's there's a reality behind it. And so what is what is Greg Vanny company going to do to shut down Mukhtar? Keep in mind Nashville was my preseason favorite to win MLS Cup. They would have to go into Los Angeles here and find a way past uh Los Angeles, which isn't by any stretch of the imagination beyond them, because when they do play well, and obviously it's relative to Mukhtar, but when they do play well, they're one of the great teams in the league. Yeah, the Galaxy, they tend to control most games and create more chances than the opposition, but they can be very wasteful. So I think that's the key for them in these playoffs, putting away their chances. You mentioned they now have one of the best midfields in the league since the arrival of Puj and Brugman. And even Douglas Costa ended the season in mm-hmm. pretty good form. So I don't think chance creation is going to be an issue for them. They just have to put it away. And yeah, you're right about Mukhtar. You know, it, you're right. It sounds simplistic to say, well, if he shows up, they might win. If he doesn't, they might lose. But I do kind of feel that way with this Nashville team. And, and there's a team coming up in our next game where it's kind of a similar dynamic, which is Austin and Sebastian Drusi. They host RSL. Um, Austin, been an interesting team all season. RSL, we know in last year's playoffs had kind of a Cinderella run. So it'll be interesting to see if they can recapture that magic this time around. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they are similar. I would still say that Nashville is more reliant on Mukhtar than Austin is reliant on Drusi. However, you know, this is where, you know, Pablo Mastriani and, and look, a lot of credit to what what has happened uh, with Austin over there and Josh Wolf and Claudio Reyna and obviously what they have going there. And, you know, they sold out the game and they're, they're going to be going crazy and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful to see this celebration. But then a whistle blows and RSL is kind of been there, done that. And so there's that, even though RSL certainly has plenty of young and unexperienced players, they also got plenty of experience, including a coach that has been there. I think that's where this game hinges on. Austin is going to rely on the fact that they are a very good team and have proven that through the year, but also kind of rely on that that magic and that aura and that atmosphere that it, that they're going to create of just being excited to be in the playoffs. Well, that only that only gets you so far. And so the sooner that they can realize that, just being in the playoffs and stop patting themselves on the back isn't enough. The better off it is for Austin. But I worry that if they run out of time, because RSL is going to know nobody gives a crap what happened in the regular season. We've been in the playoffs. We've won MLS Cup. We've been around. We are 
you know, for the most part, kind of OGs when it comes to Major League Soccer, that might be what tips the balances for RSL. But I still got Austin going through. Uh, Montreal play host to Orlando. That's a 2-7 game in the East. On our last podcast, uh, you did your uh, MLS awards, but a brain fart. We neglected to do Coach of the Year. And the reason I bring it up leading into the Montreal game is because I suspect that might be your selection, right? Do you want to give it to us right now? Yeah, I mean, so I went back and forth between Wilfred Nancy, uh, who I, de- I think deserves a tremendous amount of credit and respect, and I think there's he's going to get a lot of votes. I, I think he'll probably win it. Um, I think, <laughs> and I forgot what I actually did, because I, I, I went back and forth between him and Jim Curtin. And there was a part of me, I think, at the last moment that said, you know what, we are taking Jim Curtin and this Philadelphia team for granted. Uh, and I, so I think ultimately I still went with Jim Curtin, but I would have been absolutely no problem. And I might even, I, I just don't remember what I put in, but I might even have gone with uh, Wilfred Nancy. And he, if he wins it, I am totally happy and it's completely uh, justified for what they have done. The interesting thing about this game is, you know, part of their success, Montreal's success, has been their incredible record on the road. Obviously, they're coming back home against a team like Orlando that we mentioned last week you know, has has not played well at home. Having said that, Orlando likes to muck it up. <laughs> we, you know, we were laughing last week about, you know, the antics that is kind of ingrained in that culture down there on the sideline and just the way that this team plays. And so Montreal, I think Wilfred Nancy's going to have to impress upon this team that you have to find a way to use your home field advantage. And you have to find a way to not be diverted by any of the craziness that Orlando is going to try to do. Because that's the only way that Orlando finds a way to win this game ultimately. And so I see Montreal going through. Orlando did not impress me, even though they got that win at the last day of the year to get them into the uh, the playoffs right now. I still think that they are a mediocre team going up against a great team that is Montreal. I agree. I think this is the biggest mismatch in the first round in either conference uh, Mihailovic uh, had some injury problems down the stretch, but looked pretty good on decision days. So looks like he might be all the way back, and that's big for Montreal, obviously. Uh, next up, the 3-6 game in the East, NYCFC hosting Inter-Miami. On our last podcast, I brought up the possibility of this game being played at City Field, and it was really just to tweak Mets fans because their team had just been knocked out of the <laughs> baseball playoffs. And lo and behold, they did move the game. It looks like it is going to be at City Field instead of Red Bull Arena. Although... Uh, the Miami owner is not happy about it. Phil Neville was still expressing uncertainty about where exactly this game is going to be. Everything I'm reading is City Field, so unless I hear otherwise, yeah. I'm, I'm going it, to. It's going to be City Field. They'll, they'll figure out a way. And I guess, I mean, it's it's not good, but it's not. But I guess it's better. I mean, I, I don't know. At this point, I, I'm I'm exhausted talking about NYCFC's facility problem right now and they 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 know and i'm not telling them anything they don't know and so if it's going to be a city field fine when it comes down to the actual game um i don't know i'd have to go and look what their record is there because they played in so many different (laughs) venues over the year and over the years but when it comes to someone like uh nycfc i think that they are a better team than miami but with what Iguain has done, I mean, we, we're, we were talking about Jerusi and we were talking about, you know, Puj and, and these these types of players that either are new or have found a, a, a new, uh, a, you know, a new vein. Um, I, I think that Iguain has to come up, has to come up big here for this Inter-Miami team. I'm, I'm still going to go with the defending champs, NYCFC. They're certainly not as strong as they were last year, but I just think that they're stronger ultimately than Inter-Miami. 
Yeah, only three repeat champions in MLS history. DC United, 96-97. Houston with Stu Holden, 2006-2007. And the LA Galaxy, 2011-2012 with Beckham, Donovan Keane, that great team. Um, the, early on this season, I thought NYCFC had a chance to repeat when they still had Ronnie Dyla on the bench and Castellanos up front. Hasn't been the same team ever since those two guys left. I'm curious to see Talis Magno's status because he got injured on decision day. If he's available, I suspect he'll start up top. I don't love that. Uh, he was one of the best wingers in the league. And to me, since they moved him up top, he's been pretty mediocre. So they kind of weakened themselves at two positions with that move. Uh, I, ag- I agree with you. I don't I don't get it. I love him out wide. I just, you know, but obviously with Castellanos going down, they needed to figure out something. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. And then the final first round game, the three, six game in uh, the West Dallas hosting Minnesota, Minnesota, another one of those teams that has a dominant figure in Reynoso that you kind of feel like how he goes. So goes the team. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird with Minnesota um, because I think that they are good, but I think ultimately, and, and especially after this game, because I think Dallas is going to beat them that they will look back on this season, even though they made the playoffs as a failure, that they will look back in that they left a lot on the table. And it's not just Reynoso, but I think the expectations were much higher for the loons here. And I, they are they are backing into the playoffs. This is not a confident team that I am looking at when it comes to loons right now. And going to Dallas with Ferreira and Areola and company right now, uh, not an easy place to play. So I'm going with Dallas there. So I got I have Dallas winning. I have NYCFC winning. I have Montreal winning. I have Austin winning. It's a close one. The, the LA Galaxy Nashville won because I picked Nashville to win MLS Cup. I got to stay with Nashville coming into LA. And so I'm going to go with Nashville there. And I'm going to go with Cincy over Red Bull, going into Red Bull Arena and uh, beating the Red Bulls. Anything, any ones of those that you differ? No, no, I'm with you on all of those. Uh, one uh, World Cup. Um, subplot here. If Dallas were to lose this first round game, then Jesus Ferreira, who we all think is the right. presumptive starting number nine at the World Cup, would arrive uh, at that first World Cup game having not played a competitive match in more than a month. Does that concern you? But wait a second, Moss. I'm told by everybody out there that, you know, the poor players are just worked to the bone and they got too many games and they're overused and, uh, you know, they need rest. And Jurgen Klopp and everybody and their mother is telling me that uh, they play too many games. So why isn't this good? He can get a nice little rest and then kind of come back in all rejuvenated and refreshed. Perhaps. And they are setting up that camp for MLS players who are inactive heading into the World Cup. So. Exactly. All right. Anything else, my friend? That is it. Uh, as I mentioned, a bunch of MLS games coming up this weekend. Two on Saturday, two on Sunday, two on Monday. We'll be doing the uh, ones on uh, on Monday. Uh, it, it's fun. There is a different type of atmosphere and there is a different I mean, you can feel it. There's a just a different type of color and there's a different type of feel to any playoffs, but certainly when it comes to what we're talking about here, MLS playoffs. And you have worked your entire season to be put in this position. And some are more advantageous than others, but we we always talked about this kind of new lease on life coming. We'll see who has been able to take whatever good and positive they've done in the in the regular season and carry it over to the uh, postseason. We'll also see some that maybe have been underwhelming, finding new life 
and kind of flipping a switch and being very, very different. It's part of what makes playoffs fun. It's part of uh, what makes MLS playoffs fun. So check those out. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. As I mentioned, lots of stuff going on when it comes to Champions League, and we'll give you a whole roundup of all the doings that happen. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, we're back. Uh, as I mentioned, lots of stuff going on when it comes to Champions League. Uh, I was around for yesterday's Champions League, but as I also mentioned, I was in the air for most of today, and we're recording here on uh, Wednesday. So, Moss, you're going to help me out with the uh, Wednesday one. I was able to see the clips and, and get as much information as I possibly could. But let's start on Tuesday because all sorts of stuff happened. Where do you want to start? Uh, let's start early Tuesday. Maccabi Haifa, 2-0 winners over Juventus. American Josh Cohen started in goal for Maccabi Haifa. He got the shutout, made a couple of really nice saves. Juve in all sorts of trouble now. Looks like they're going to go out in the group stage. Di Maria limped off with a hamstring injury, so Argentinians are concerned about that for the World Cup. Wesson McKinney started, came off at the half. Yeah, it was not a good outing, obviously, for Juventus. Not a good outing for Weston McKinney. Uh, he's he's kind of yo-yoing now when we see him at different times, which is is not great. But he is playing. And keep in mind, you know, he's he spent a lot of this year coming off of those those injuries. But you need him to kind of start uh, coming into form, as they say. How, however, he's playing on a a mediocre Juventus team right now. And that's not to take anything away from what uh, Maccabi Haifa did. Congratulations to them. It was comprehensive and it was well-deserved. And it's on the back also of, from an American perspective, uh, Josh Cohen having a really, really good game, making the saves that he needed to and making us proud in terms of uh, the goalkeeping. Somebody asked me today on the, uh, on the flight over, somebody sent me a tweet saying, should Josh Cohen be considered for the national team? No. No, it's great and we can celebrate it and it's wonderful, but no, that's that's not the situation. Who knows? Maybe in the next cycle, because he's a goalkeeper, so his age, his 30-year-old age doesn't really change anything. Um, and it's not that's not necessarily a problem. But no, that that uh that ship has sailed relative to the goalkeepers right now. And just because somebody had a wonderful performance in Champions League doesn't automatically mean that he needs to be brought into the national team uh, a couple of weeks before the World Cup. I read uh, an article in an Italian newspaper, La Repubblica, which said that the Juve dressing room is divided right now. There's a pro-Allegri faction and an anti-Allegri faction. And they said Wesson McKinney is one of the leaders of the anti-Allegri faction. And that shocked me because I think Allegri has been pretty good to him. Frankly, he's gotten more playing time this season than I think his form warranted. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, and... But, you know, but Weston's a smart guy and he's been while he's young, he's been around enough to understand and calculate the in this case, it would be the locker room dynamic. And it's a lot easier to fire a coach than it is to fire players when things aren't going well. And so I think he probably calculates if this is true, this is all hearsay and this is all rumor. But, you know, this is this is kind of what happens. But if this were to be true, uh, that Weston has feelings one way or the other. I would think that he would look at it and say, 
they're going to fire their coach because that's what happens. And I will still be here, but be careful what you wish for, because somebody that might come in, as you mentioned, that actually, whether you like him or not, doesn't have the same type of view that Allegri evidently has for Weston. And it might be that Allegri just says, this is the best that I got. And he, and that in and of itself might be a problem. As much as I love Weston and as much as I love American players playing, that in and of itself for what Juve is positioned to be and purported to be might be the biggest problem. Uh, two teams clinched round the 16 berths on Tuesday. We'll begin with the defending champions, Real Madrid. This was classic Real. They were awful in this game against Shakhtar, which was played in <laughs> Poland. Shakhtar obviously can't play at home. Um, and Shakhtar deserved the three points. Uh, and yet Real Madrid snatched an equalizer. Last kick of the game, Tony Cruz floats across. Rudiger heads it in and then has a nasty collision with the goalkeeper, which left him bloody and needing all sorts of stitches. Um, and so Real Madrid get a 1-1 draw, quote-unquote, away to Shakhtar. Uh, and that's enough to send them to the round of 16. And and I felt horrible for Shakhtar because FIFA did not do right by that team, allowing all the foreigners to leave, and they got no financial uh, compensation for any of that. They had to put together this patchwork of a roster to compete in the Champions League. They're not even playing at home, and yet they've done much better than expected. And this would have been a nice moment if they had beaten Real Madrid and they should have gotten the victory. They've got, by the way, a couple of wonderful players, this midfielder Sudakov and this uh, winger Mudrik, who are both going to be like big signings for super clubs. They are absolute gems, these two young Ukrainian players. So, but yeah, when you take the whole situation into account, I was actually pretty annoyed that Real Madrid snatched that equalizer. All right, hold on a second, Mossy. Hold on a second. I'm going to ask you to separate out some things to my, uh, to you, to my good friend, to people that are listening or watching. I separate out some things for those that watch the game. You know, Mossy, Mossy, you described the uh, the goal. Yes, I I join everybody in congratulating uh, Shakhtar on a well earned point. And it was there were a lot of people that were cheering for Shakhtar, not because they necessarily don't like Real Madrid, although plenty because they don't, but because of the story behind it and, you know, the troubles and, you know, the behind the eight ball type of situation that they have been put in through no fault of their own. Having said that, Mossy, so now that that separate that out. OK. The Rudiger goal. OK, we bend over backwards to protect goalkeepers. And God forbid you even look in the direction of a goalkeeper because you will get called for a foul, possibly a yellow card. This goalkeeper came out and was not even close to getting to the ball. Not only that, he could have really, really seriously hurt Rudiger. Now, look, he went off in blood and the goalkeeper certainly took a hit himself. But this is a red card. This is not even a question. And I know the scenario and the situation, you know, you were, if we're going to err on the side, you're going to err on the side of Shakhtar. But come on, man. That was a ridiculously inappropriate and irresponsible way to come out for a ball. And I'm just knocking on wood that everybody is okay. And it seemed like in the moment that they were. But I just I wanted to get that in because just because there is this romantic notion behind the game that I buy into and I'm fully supportive of doesn't give you the excuse that you can go out and try to decapitate somebody on a cross ball that you never even came close. And just because you're a goalkeeper, you don't get dinged for it. Anyway. No, that's fair. Um, 
our producer, Sean Sullivan, big NFL fan, very salty over some of these roughing the passer calls that occurred this past weekend. So hearing you talk about goalkeepers being overprotected, uh, you kind of hit a nerve with him. So just but Mossy, bring back football. Bring back football. That's all I'm asking. OK, <laughs> where's football gone? Uh, the other team that secured a knockout stage berth on Tuesday was Manchester City. They were away to Copenhagen, actually held to a nil-nil draw. Erlen Holland didn't play. He was rested. City had a goal controversially disallowed by Rodri early on, and then Mares missed a penalty, and they got a red card in the first half, Sergio Gomez, so they had to play down a man for a lot of the game. So when you factor in all that, uh, nil-nil away from home wasn't that bad a result, and the point is enough to get him into the knockout stage. So City, they'll take that and go on their way. But they didn't play Holland. I mean, <laughs> you know, enough said, right? He fundamentally changes the way that they play and the fear factor of any team that you come up against. So it's it's not even – at this point, this is how impactful he has been. For me, it's not even a Manchester City game if Holland's not playing, which is crazy to say because of how important they have been and what they have done, you know, over the last decade. And the Rodrigo was disallowed because they spotted a handball on Mares in the buildup. Pep was asked afterwards, point blank, do you understand the handball rule? And he said, no, no idea. There's no consistency. He referenced the Arsenal-Liverpool game, the play with Jota and Gabriel. He referenced the Inter-Barcelona Champions League game the week before, the play with Denzel Dumfries in the box. And he's right. He said there's just no consistency from game to game and nobody has any clue exactly what the handball rule is. Well, he doesn't understand about the ball hitting the hand or he doesn't understand about phase of play or what's the what's the deal? He just he just he didn't like the call because it went against him. But you must admit, when we watch games, there's some are not given because supposedly the no, no, it was the it was in a the hand was yes. close to the body, I, isn't it? And then you watch another game later in the day well, and the same exact play I, and it's given. A hundred percent. But as long as it is as it is subjective, okay, and it is murky and it's done by design then it's hard for people to argue because there is always another side, which is why I argue that at this point, it should just be, if it hits your arm or your, or your hand, it's a foul. It's a, it, it's a, uh, it's a handball. That's it. And we, we already have players playing with their arms behind their back. So let's just make that part of the modern game. And then we don't have to worry about it. And then what we're really arguing at that point over is, did it hit his arm and his hand? And there will be discussion about that, and that will be there will be controversy about that, but it will it will be much clearer. And I think that's part of the well, it's part of the problem from the outside. The inside, people will tell you they need to make it uh, murky, if you will, to protect the game, to protect the referees, and to give you some wiggle room because not everything is black and white in this game. But anyway, Mossy. I, 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 I'm, I'm okay. You know, Pep, Pep understands what the rule is. Uh, PSG Benfica 1-1 at the Parc de Prince. Benfica did very well the last two weeks to earn 1-1 draws in both games against PSG. They're now in great shape to advance from that group. This match occurring against the backdrop of the Mbappe news earlier in the day that he wants out of PSG in January. He regrets resigning with them. He feels betrayed. From what I read... <laughs> <laughs> he wanted them to sell Neymar and sign Lewandowski. He does not want to play as a center forward. He felt like if you had Lewandowski up there and him and Messi floating behind him, he would get to showcase his all-around skills more. Instead, he's being forced to play as a center forward with Neymar and Messi floating behind him. And so he's talked about how he feels much more comfortable with France, where he has someone like a Benzema or Giroud up there and he can play off of him. So there's that. 
And just, I think, the general feeling that he didn't like the moves they made this summer and he doesn't think they're going to win the Champions League again this season. Whatever the case, uh, he's he's seemed very perturbed so far this season. And now, you know, initially it was a Madrid newspaper, Marca, reporting this. So I kind of rolled my eyes and thought, okay, they're just trying to start trouble. But then the whole French media came in and said, no, yeah, it's true. He, he wants out in January. So now we'll have to see what happens with Mbappe. Oh, that locker room must be so ridiculous. It just must be. It, it's the kind of thing that would just drive me up a wall. It's the kind of thing where you need somebody that is the voice of reason and the voice of authority. And I'm not talking about a coach. I'm talking about a player that at one point looks around and sees all of these terrific egos and undeniable world-class talents and does and says something to dramatically illustrate how you're screwing this up and it shouldn't happen and not on my watch. And if you got to pin them up against the wall, you pin them up against the wall and you say, "Uh uh-uh, that is not going to fly. I mean, and for Mbappe, I mean, this is kind of reserved for France, which is interesting. I'd much rather he just holds on to this type of, uh, of childish behavior, uh, and, and waits until France, because this is usually the kind of drama and BS behind the scenes that happens when it comes to the, Fran- uh, the French national team. That it's happened at, at PSG? Fine, whatever. I mean, you, you created the half of the situation, by the way, and the power and the leverage that you wield in that locker room and for that team, you've brought to bear. And ultimately, whatever it is, the situation that you don't like right now, you had a hand in creating it. Uh, the goals were both from the penalty spot. Mbappe scored for PSG. That goal, by the way, made him their all-time Champions League goal scorer. I know they don't have much of a history in that competition, but nevertheless, at his age, that's actually pretty impressive. And then João Mario equalized for Benfica. And by the way, there was somebody in the building that maybe could have set Mbappe straight. Uh, John Snow of Game of Thrones fame, Kit Harrington, we got this game. <laughs> so he could have pulled Mbappe aside after and spoken to him. But uh, So it finished 1-1 there. Uh, Chelsea go to the San Siro. They get a 2-0 win over AC Milan. This game was kind of wrecked early on by a really dubious decision. Tomori gets whistled for a red card and a penalty, which Jorginho converted. So AC Milan had to play down a man the rest of the way. It was pretty much one-way traffic. Aubameyang made it 2-0 before halftime, and Chelsea saw out the game after that. That red card did get Sergino Dest in the game because uh, Milan needed to straighten out their back line after having a defender sent off. Dest, I don't think, did anything overly impressive. Christian Pulisic, by the way, did not play. It's interesting. He didn't play match day three against AC Milan and started uh, subsequent weekend against Wolves. Doesn't play in this game. If he starts against Aston Villa this upcoming weekend, then okay, clearly he's rotating between Champions League and Premier League, and Pulisic is at least in the Premier League 11, which is a step in the right direction relative to his situation under Tuchel. If Pulisic doesn't start this upcoming weekend, then we're kind of back where we were with Tuchel. Uh, so I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that. But Chelsea get the three points here at the San Siro. They might have to add another chapter to the book, you know. I mean, <laughs> and Dest, to your point, he actually was in at a certain point and he had a shot, a point blank shot and he skied it over. And so it's it's not going well for Dest, but at least he's on the field as opposed to uh, Christian Pulisic. So, yeah, this weekend will be interesting to see if he goes back to the well or the, uh, the Pulisic well. Uh, Dortmund Sevilla finished one-one. Jude Bellingham scored again for Dortmund. He scored all four match days. Boy, the U.S. They're going to have their hands full with that guy November twenty-fifth, uh, huh? 
Bring it on. Bring it on, Mossy. <laughs> Bring it on. I mean, his his value just keeps going through the roof. And about- uh, and, right, and rightfully so. Incredibly talented player, young players. So that value is going to be increased. And, you know, he, as we said, took the road less traveled and has made all the difference. Declan Rice and Bellingham versus Adams and Musa. It's a pretty tasty midfield joust there. Mm, bring um, it on. Bring it on. Uh, Gio Reyna did not start this game, but he was available, came on in the second half, and had an incredible move late that's gone viral that U.S. soccer fans are all drooling over. So good to see Gio have a moment like that. I mean, Gio coming on and playing well and having viral moments, that's, well, the moments, that's what he does, right? I mean, nobody's denying that he's a great talent. It's just actually being on the field. And so I'm happy that he's on the field. Are you counting on that happening and continuing? I don't know. We've been, you know, we've gotten our hopes up before. And so let's let's hope again. I, you know, I think Dortmund actually has done right by him in the way that they have kind of brought him along slowly. And yeah, they're, they're in their luxurious position to kind of do that. But it's great. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going to go crazy unless we get multiple games where he is where he is good and god forbid i'm knocking on every bit of wood or formica that i have here in my hotel room that nothing happens to him beforehand let alone when he gets on the field because that can happen too and then last thing on tuesday cameron carter vickers captain celtic in their 2-0 home defeat to leipzig first american to captain a team in the champions league so pretty nice milestone for him it's nice it's nice um uh, but they lost, right? Two nothing. They lost this. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Now we head to Wednesday, and we got to hit on what was one of the great group stage games in recent Champions League history: uh, Barcelona uh, versus Inter Milan. It finished three three at Camp Nou. Uh, Barca were up one 0 at the break, playing well. Usman Dembele with the goal. The crowd was into it. You felt like they were in pretty good shape, and then. Inter turned it around in the second half with Barella and Lautaro Martinez. At that point, 2-1 down. Barca were going out of the Champions League. Lewandowski equalized 2-2. Then Inter score again late, 3-2 with Gossen. So again, Barcelona looking like they're going to go out of the Champions League. Uh, but Lewandowski with a wonderful header. Uh, oh. So it finished 3-3. Barcelona's still alive, but they're in a lot of trouble. They're three points back of Inter, and Inter have the head-to-head tiebreaker. So... It's still looking to me like Barcelona are going to go out in the group stage for the second consecutive campaign. So Barcelona would have to win out and and get some help from others. Yeah, they need to they need to gain four more points than Inter across the last two match days. Yeah, um, but but the, the Lewandowski goal was was incredible. And look, this is this is good for Barcelona. I guess it's good for for Champions League. But you got to you got to figure out a way to do it. And Lewandowski not being in Champions League this this early it's not good but he's not he's not playing for a great Barcelona team so oh my goodness all right well congratulations to Inter that's a big point and they probably should have three yeah um and they've had all sorts of Champions League group stage struggles in recent years so getting out of this group that had Bayern and Barcelona and it would be a really nice achievement for Simone Inzaghi who got himself sent off late in this one um <laughs> Bayern by the way uh 4-2 winners away to Pleasen and they advanced to the round of 16 um, also on Wednesday, a couple of other teams punched their ticket. Uh, Club Bruges, we've talked about being kind of the Cinderella team in this season. Yep. Like they go to Spain, they get a nil-nil draw away to Atletico Madrid. Bruges have still not conceded in this group stage through four match days, and this result enough to get them into the next round. Uh, Nap- yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see that game, so. <laughs> uh, Napoli... Uh, 
4-2 winners at home against Ajax. They continue to roll. Chucky Lozano scored in this one. Uh, Raspadori, Varaskelia, um, Osimen with the final goal. They've have they've scored 17 goals in their four games, four wins out of four. They punched their ticket to the knockout stage. They are looking like a real threat. Not only are they off to the knockout stage, but they could make some real noise in the next round. And they they evidently do not like Ajax at all. Man, oh man. They, yeah, I know. <laughs> they, they crushed them both games. Woof. By the way, we talk about U.S. players, so we got to be equal opportunity here. Three Mexicans started this game. Uh, Jorge Sanchez, Edson Alvarez, and Chucky Lozano. So on Twitter, Mexicans were very proud of that, flexing their muscles. So um, Tottenham, 3-2 uh, winners over Eintracht Frankfurt. They actually fell behind 1-0 and then scored three unanswered. Son scoring twice. Kane bagged one. Uh, Frankfurt pulled one back late, but Tottenham hold on. So a nice win for them. And then Liverpool, <laughs> how about this one? Jeez. They concede first and then score seven unanswered uh, to win 7-1 away to Rangers. Uh, Salah with a hat trick. Firmino scored twice. So, you know, they they <laughs> Liverpool needed kind of a flex the muscles uh, result like this. It's against Rangers, so... Uh, don't want to read too much into it, but nevertheless, Liverpool, they've mostly been bad this season, but when they've been good, they had a 9-0 win over Bournemouth in the Premier League, 7-1 victory here. Man, Rangers, be careful. Do not poke that red bear. Holy cow. They, they just said, all right, that's enough. We're going to rattle off seven uh, seven in a row here. I, and But to your point, Liverpool needs some good news uh, and needs a feel-good type of moment. We'll see if it carries over to the weekend. All right, so that's it for the Champions League. We are now through four match days, just two more to go. All right. Uh, what else? We got some stuff coming up this weekend we want to talk about? Yes, uh, some European games to look forward to, and we got to begin in Spain. Uh, Real Madrid uh, host Barcelona. Uh, those two teams level on points atop La Liga. Both have seven wins and one draw. Lewandowski versus Benzema. Uh, we've, we've talked about how this game lost a little bit of juice last season. Do you think it's regained some of it back with Lewandowski joining Barcelona? And and uh, how excited are you for this one? Mm, I mean, because it's all relative, isn't it? Or comparing it to his Messi era and Ronaldo era, right? And so nothing has even come close to living up to that yet, which is by it's a bigger conversation. But at some point that needs to be changed. And who knows with, with Holland and these types of players coming through that it might be restored at a certain point, but no, I don't think that it has regained any of its of its luster relative to the heydays that we're talking about. And I'm talking about the the contemporary heyday, right, of uh, of Messi and Ronaldo. Uh, having said that, you know, to your point, both teams didn't look impressive midweek, and but both teams are sitting at the top of the table, and so it, that this is something that we have seen for years and years and years. It makes it interesting. It uh, it makes it a game that I will tune into because of the history involved and because of the pedigree of both of these teams, even if they're not at their height uh, relative to what they have been in the past. Uh, in France, PSG will play host to Marseille. Even though PSG have this air of being uh, above everyone else in Ligue 1, Marseille is the one opponent that gets under their skin, that they get up for. Marseille like to hold it over them that they've won the Champions League and PSG hasn't. Marseille won the very first edition back in 1993, beating AC Milan in the final in Munich. And obviously PSG, despite all their spending, have yet to 
win that competition. So uh, these games tend to be very ill-tempered. There's only three points separating them on the table. Uh, Alexis Sanchez joined Marseille this season. He's playing well, so you've got him, Dimitri Payet. And then obviously we'll see about Messi's fitness. He's missed the last couple of games. And Mbappe's mental state. We'll see where this story goes the next few days regarding him and PSG. Uh, so a lot to look forward to in this one. But the difference between this, Mossy, and what we just talked about with Real Madrid and Barca is that when we, come, when we talk about Real Madrid and Barca, I don't think either of them look at the other as any, well, as any better, right? And, and so the disparity between a PSG and Marseille, we, they, Liga does not have that yet. This is much more of a younger brother-ish type of thing where... Yeah, he's going to give you a fight and he's going to be a pain in the ass. And at times he's going to strut around and believe that he's bigger than he actually is. And sometimes give you a bloody nose. But the reality is that you're still the older brother and you can still beat up on them uh, when it when it comes to that, I suppose. And I think that's it's a, another again, it's another bigger type of conversation. But it's what League uh, is missing right now, as far as I'm concerned with uh, with these types of games. But, you know. From a point perspective, we've seen it happen in the past. And this weekend, you know, you can uh, move level. Uh, in England, Liverpool will host Manchester City. I said this on our last podcast. I'll reiterate, if Liverpool lose this game, they're out of the title race. They would be 16 points back of Manchester City. Uh, Holland, we just talked about. <laughs> it's, Mossy, it's October 12th. <laughs> but, you know, I could see Arsenal imploding. I can't see... City imploding to that degree. So you fall 16 points behind oh, but, City but, at any point. This okay, season, so you're not what the, what the hell are we talking about here when it comes to leagues then? Oh my God, don't you're going to get me started here on October 12th of a league. That's over. It's done. It's decided. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, it's a great system and structure we got going there. Uh, are we talking right. well who do you uh, got then who do you got then are we uh, talking got, Premier uh, League playoffs here? Is that where you want to go here? We- no, nah, well, I'm just saying that that don't you think that fundamentally that's a problem? Maybe it's not. Don't Whatever. Give, don't, give, but, don't give Todd Bowley any ideas. Huh? But, all uh, right. Okay. Uh, Erlen Holland, uh, we, we just talked about he sat out the Champions League game, so he'll be rested going up against that Liverpool back line, which has been a mess this season. So this is a real pride game for Liverpool, gut check game. they got to step up here at home and field. They are unbeaten in the last four against City if you include that Community Shield. Remember, they've already had a meeting this season in the Community Shield. Liverpool won 3-1. That was a game where Nunez scored while Holland missed a couple of chances, and it triggered this narrative that, oh, he might struggle, I don't know, coming from the Bundesliga to English football. (laughs) Things have changed a little bit since then, Moss. Yeah, those struggles have (laughs) not materialized. Yes. Um, the other Premier League game we want to highlight, uh, Leeds United will host Arsenal. As we know, Arsenal are flying eight wins in nine games atop the table. Jesus, Martinelli, Saka and company all flying. Can Jesse Marsh devise a game plan to slow down this team? Well, look, we've already seen now Arsenal come up against what people thought was going to be a true test and pass with flying colors. So if Jesse Marsh ends up being the one that, cracks this nut that would be a huge huge feather in his cap having said that um you know when it comes to leads what, what we've now seen is that they they start out strong but they they don't have the gas to sustain and they're coming up against a very very good team uh, anything that leads gets out of this game i think is great for leads and for uh, and for jesse marsh if they were able to conspire to, to find a way against right now, arguably the best team in England, man, oh man, that would be wonderful, but I don't see it happening. 
Uh, two more games and then we're done. In Italy, uh, Lazio hosts Udinese. That's third versus fourth. We talk so much about Roma with Mourinho and Dybala, but Lazio, the other capital club, are actually above them in the table. They're just three points behind leaders Napoli. So Maurizio Sarri doing a good job there. Not, Lazio have won their last three Serie A games 4-0. First team in Serie A history to have three straight 4-0 victories. In uh, history, huh? Yeah, wow. They've got a lot of firepower with Luis Alberto, Milinkovic-Savic in the midfield, Immobile up top, guys like Felipe Anderson, Pedro on the wing. So uh, I like this Lazio team, and we'll see what they can do against Udinese. And then good one in Germany, Union Berlin will host Borussia Dortmund. Union Berlin atop the table, Jordan Pifak. Dortmund, I would assume Gio Reyna would be available, perhaps, maybe start. He looked pretty good. Maybe that, I was just about to say, I mean, this is at some point you kind of have to say, all right, you know, can't <laughs> you can fly, you can fly. Uh, woof. I would love to see that. Uh, I mean, at some, like I said, at some point, we just got to find a, as opposed to constantly protecting him, you got to get him out there going. And if it's always, well, he could get hurt, then he's not going to be of any, any use. So I don't know. I'd like to see him start, but we'll see. All right, my friend, uh, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, oh, yeah, it's time for Ask Alexi. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point in the show where you uh, send in some questions and we talk about the hashtag that you can use on all the social media platforms out there. And our Twitter handle is SOTU with Alexi. And of course, you know, the, the now famous State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. A lot of people are really enjoying the hotline. And we, we try to use uh, the, the questions that, uh, that we do. There's a whole lot that we don't. Don't think that we don't love you. Don't think that we're not thankful that you are uh, sending them in. There's only so many that we can use. And I think, Mossy, I think we've opted to go for uh, State of the Union podcast hotline uh, questions again this week, right? Yep. Uh, let's go with the first one right now. Hi, this is Oscar from Wisconsin. And my question is, which strikers do you think should go to Qatar? And which strikers do you think Burhalter will end up taking to Qatar? Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, thank you, Oscar from Wisconsin. And I guess this would be a, a good point, Mossy, for us to plug our um, positional preview pods that we have coming up. So definitely look for those where we kind of get in depth when it comes to the U.S. men's national team and the players, the potential players uh, that each position has. And there's plenty of debate. And this is a this is a good thing. Right. OK, so when it comes to the the striker position, which is a constant source of um debate uh i would i would think that when it comes right now this is what where i think greg burhalter's head is and it could change but it looks like and sounds like that he's going to bring three okay i would bring four but he he looks like he is going to bring three and i think ultimately those are going to be jesus ferreira as the incumbent uh and then it's going to be 
Sargent and Pepe. So the two, the, the three players that we saw in camp before. I would add, at this point, PFOC. Um, you know, I've talked about Brandon Vasquez, and who knows, he might really impress in this mini camp that they have coming up. But since he has not been with the team, I think that that, from a Greg Berhalter perspective, will exclude him. Um, and I do believe and kind of share the opinion that if it is a, a toss-up, go with the ones that have been in the dynamic and been in that that environment that you have. And so that's why PFOC for me would be over uh, Brendan Vasquez, especially since he didn't bring him in in this last window. So I think those are the three that he's going with. The four that I would go would be those three plus uh, plus PFOC. And it and it irks me because I think had we seen Brendan Vasquez, that he would have taken the place of, let's say, a Pepe or a Sergeant when it comes to those spots. Because if you just gave me I could only take three, I think I'm going uh, Ferreira, Pfock, and man, Pepe. And Sergeant, between Pepe and Sergeant, I think I'm going with Sergeant over Pepe. So Pepe's the odd man out. Mossy, what about you? I agree. Um, if you have to replace one of the three that he called up in the last window with PFOC, for me, it would be Pepe that would drop out. I know he's doing well at club level, but I just don't hold the Eredivisie in high regard. And I know what I've seen from him with the national team lately. Um, so, yeah, I think PFOC would be a more useful player to have in Qatar than Pepe. Okay. All right. Like I said, we'll be doing a bunch of this you know, deep dive into the positions here coming up with our uh, positional preview pods that we have. Uh, what's the next one that we got, Mossy? All right, let's hear another voicemail. Hi, Alexi. This is Pedro from Queens, New York. I wanted to ask you, do you think that Burl Halter has lost the confidence in his players? Uh, it just seems like due to the, the recent cycle, uh, his, his failure to bring in the best striker that we have available in PFOC uh, then starting long, two games in a, in a row after the horrible performance in, against Japan, playing players out of their position, whether it's Dest or Polistic, um, it just seems like if I were one of the players, like I just I would have lost total confidence in him and his inability to adjust. And he's always a guy in the system, and it seems like the players are, are frustrated. And Berhalter isn't someone also who, who has a long history of winning. I mean, and I think he had coached in the Swedish league and uh, they, I think he, he got fired after less than a year. And even in MLS, I think that with the crew, they made the playoffs a couple years, but other than that, uh, he never won MLS cup. So it just seems to me if I was one of the players, I would, I would have lost confidence at this point in him. Uh, so let me know what you think. Appreciate it. Thank you for the podcast. Great lesson. All right. Pedro from Queens. You're right around the corner here. I'm, I'm right here in Manhattan. Uh, good question. Thank you. Um, has he lost the team? Well, obviously I'm not inside, so I don't know. I would venture to say, because every team has this, there are players that like him and there are players that, I don't know, maybe players just don't like him, but I, I think there were certainly players that maybe don't, you know, uh, he's not their, their cup of tea. You know, and not necessarily that they don't like him. Um, and there's certainly maybe players that don't like him. But when it comes to 
so that and that dynamic exists in anything. When it comes to whether he has lost this team, I, I don't think so. I certainly I think that players, you know, you all go back to your hotels, you're in the bus or whatever, and you commiserate between uh, amongst yourselves. And why the hell did he do that? And why the hell did he do that? And it's not a coach's responsibility to explain every single move that he or she makes uh, to every single player on the team. However, you got to have your finger on the pulse if you are Greg Berhalter and understand the dynamic. You're dealing with egos. You're dealing with incredibly talented, but at times fragile. Also with this team, you're also dealing with very young and inexperienced players. And so you have to factor all of that into all of your actions and all of your words. All of that is to say, no, I don't think that he has lost this team in that I don't think that there is a toxic environment that has been created relative to decisions that have been made over the cycle or even the last couple of games in the window. Um, that's, that's not to say, like, like I said, that that can't be created and can't be created very quickly. A lot of that comes down to, uh, to results. You know, when he puts Serginho Dest in left back position, that's not messing Serginho Dest up because he's saying to Serginho, look, you're our second best left back that we have. And with Jedi out, I need to figure out uh, and give you some opportunity to play in that position. So basically what you're saying is, no matter what, you're going to be on the field as a starter. No player is going to look at that and go, oh, I can't believe you're, playing me over, you're not playing me over right back. That's my impression of Sajinia Dest being grumpy about something. So I don't think that that necessarily is a, uh, is a problem. So when you see players, quote unquote, playing out of position, and I don't think we see a lot of that, to be quite honest with you, when it comes to uh, this national the team going forward, but if and when it's done, I don't think it's not a situation like where Christian Pulisic for Chelsea was going in it right back. And that can cause problems for the player and the dynamic that's going on in the locker room right now. Having said all of that, this is why I say only one cycle, because I think it gets stale and I think it gets old very, very quickly through no fault necessarily of coaches, just the reality of what a cycle is, especially these young players. If you had interviewed them on the first day that Greg Berhalter took charge and then interview them on the last day of the World Cup in December, think of how different they are as human beings, as players. Their personalities have changed. Physically, they have changed. They are different people. And what worked at the beginning of the cycle or even in the middle of the cycle might not work now in terms of the group dynamic or the individuals that you are are, are dealing with. And that's why I think it's just so hard. And it'll be really interesting, regardless of what happens to Greg Berhalter, if the Federation dis- opts to continue with him after this World Cup. Hey, Lexi. Hey, Mossy. This is Jared Smith from Salt Lake City, formerly from Cincinnati. I just wanted to get your thoughts on an audio clip from earlier in the summer off of my favorite podcast. Here you go. Well, congratulations uh, over there to the Cincinnati folks for what they are doing. But again, it's been so bad for so many years. Make the playoffs, and then we'll do a whole segment on Cincinnati. How about that? So just wanted to know when the uh, full segment on Cincinnati was coming. Looking forward to your coverage of the playoffs and the World Cup. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. 
Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. That is awesome. Thank you so much, Jared Smith from Cincinnati. Well, now in uh, in Salt Lake, but originally from uh, Cincinnati. And so I'm assuming a uh, FC Cincinnati fan and Stan uh, and you're bringing the receipts. So uh, I love it. Um, and you're absolutely right. So congratulations to you, to all of the Cincinnati fans uh, and most importantly, to this team for what it has done. And you have uh, you you deserve the praise that you are getting. I think if you've listened earlier on, Jared, uh, to the uh, podcast here, you will see that I actually picked Cincinnati. That's how bullish I am about this team right now. Uh, a lot of credit uh, obviously goes to the, uh, you know, the front office for, you know, once again, making changes, but in this case, obviously getting it right. And let's be honest, they haven't gotten it right. And so whether it's Noonan coming in as the coach, Pat Noonan coming in as the coach, or Chris Albright coming in behind the scenes, everything that they have touched this year has turned to, you know, I guess gold. But at the very least, it's just better. Uh, and and let's let's be honest, much better in terms of the product that they are putting on the field, the results that they are getting, and the way that people outside of Cincinnati are now looking at this team. And uh, I'm happy. I'm happy for the city. Uh, it probably makes you also very happy that relative to your friends up north there in Columbus, that you are not only more successful, but you are also in the playoffs and you get that opportunity. We'll see if you kick on next uh, next year. I hope that you do. I think that you are, when I say well, you, I mean Cincinnati, you are making the league better. And I don't think you would blame me or anybody at that point when you recorded that and threw it back at me, which I love that you did. Uh, I don't think that you would or anybody would look at that and think that I was out of bounds for saying, hey, let's wait and see. And then we will give you the praise that you deserved, because it's one thing to have a period of the year or just a good type of season uh, within the a season, it's another thing to be able to do it on a consistent basis. And Cincinnati has not only been better, but they've been better than a lot of teams, and certainly better than themselves throughout the the course of the regular season. And it's well deserved. And I hope uh, um, I hope it goes well against the New York Red Bulls. But even if it doesn't, this has been not just a success, but a rousing success when it comes to what you have done in the past. And so from me to you, congratulations. You have my utmost attention and respect, FC Cincinnati, for what you have done. And it has gone swimmingly on and off the field because that environment you've created also, and I've been there, uh, is pretty special too. So now you've got something on the field in terms of a product to be very, very proud of. And you couldn't say that in the last few years. All right. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Thank you to Jared. Uh, and like I said, bringing in clips from the uh, past. Awesome. Thank you to Pedro from Queens and Oscar from uh, Wisconsin. And thank you to everybody for all the messages that you are sending in. Again, if you want to be on the State of the Union podcast with one of your uh, questions, comments, concerns out there, don't hesitate to call the uh, State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297, or you can send it in on all the different platforms that we have when it comes to social media using that hashtag, Ask Alexi. And remember that our uh, handle there is S-O-T-U with Alexi. All right, we've come to the end of the show. And uh, when I come back around here in the corner after we take a break, I will give you my one for the road as I usually do. Don't go anywhere. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back. It is the end of yet another show. I think another successful show, Mossy. I don't know about you, but at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, uh, did you know uh, that I am scheduled to take another trip? I know I'm coming to you from New York uh, for this pod, but I'm scheduled to take another trip next week. Do you know where I'm going? Uh, Might it be New Zealand? Amazing that you were able to come up with that. I am. I am. Uh, I am leaving Monday from Los Angeles, and I am arriving Wednesday in Auckland, New Zealand. You know what is taking place in Auckland, New Zealand, Mossy? Uh, the Women's World Cup draw. Exactly. For those that don't know, and you should know, the 2023 Women's World Cup will be taking place uh, joint hosting with Australia and New Zealand. The draw is happening next Friday. Yours truly will be getting on a plane and I will be involved in the draw. I have been given the incredible responsibility and honor of being part of the draw, the Women's uh, World Cup draw next uh, next Friday in in Auckland. Now, I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited about the World Cup next summer because our women's national team, number one in the world, and two-time consecutive winners of the World Cup are going for three in a row, a three-peat. And, you know, we expect our women, whenever they take the field, to beat whoever it is, regardless of the circumstances. Well, certainly over the last week, we have seen that, uh, our women's national team is mortal, that they can be beaten, and they got beaten twice. Once in England against mighty England, and England is coming on strong as the champions of Europe, two to one. And then they followed it up with a less than convincing, and certainly uh, it was a loss to Spain. And, you know, a lot of consternation as is to be expected when the U.S. loses, because first off, we, we rarely face people that are on our level, and we rarely lose, even when we do face people on uh, teams on our level. And so this was not a good, let's call it a window, this was not a good window for Vlako Andonovsky and this U.S. women's national team. Now, is it is it sirens going off right now because of what is going on with this U.S. women's national team? I don't think so. And keep in mind, before both of the last World Cups, uh, the United States women have gotten punched in the nose and then gone on to win World Cups. I think there's a lot of us that are looking at this as a timely and necessary type of lesson learned, punch in the nose, that will remind Vlaco and this entire team that they still need to put in the work, work and the rest of the world continues to catch up. Now, are there problems with this team that are fixable? Sure. Is it going to look very different than the last World Cups? Absolutely. We all understand that there is a generation that has come and gone, and there are players that still aren't involved right now. And whether it's a Julie Ertz, who I think we're finding out how important she was to the women's national team, 
or whether it's just Father Time and a Becky Saubrin, uh, who we saw not play some of these uh, some of these games in this uh, in this recent window. Whether it's who's going to be starting up there in that nine position with uh, Katrina Macario uh, hurt and. Alex Morgan, who wasn't involved in this uh, window, is there going to be that next generation that has grown up watching these incredible legends that are going to take that mantle and are going to live up to the responsibility and, let's be honest, live up to that pressure? I still think that this team can win a World Cup. It'll probably be done in a very different way. But keep in mind that we as soccer fans, we often scream and yell about, hey, you know, they're getting long in the tooth. And hey, it's a it's a young person's game. And hey, why aren't you playing the kids? And hey, there's all this talent coming along. And why don't you give them a chance? And then when we actually see it done, which is basically what we have seen done over the last couple of years from Vladko Andonovsky, we scream and yell when it doesn't produce the results. The only time ultimately that it that it matters is going to be next summer when the U.S. Women's National Team takes the field. And the lessons that will have been learned, either by the players or by Vladko Andonovsky, by these types of games that are being played, while in an essence you're losing you know, you're losing the battle, but ultimately you win the war. That's what's important. And I know it's frustrating. It's frustrating for me at times because I want to win every game and I want to see the best players. And I don't have patience <laughs> like a lot of fans. We don't have patience for development. We don't have patience to see players grow. We don't have patience for their mistakes, especially at the highest level when it comes to the international level for a team in particular, like the U.S. Women's National Team, that we are used to just seeing them obliterate everyone and do it with style. Now, all of that all of that being said, I can't wait for next summer. There are teams that are going to be gunning for us, and this is a good thing. Having a better England, as much as I may make fun of them in is a good thing. This is a good thing for women's soccer. This is a good thing for soccer. And it's a good thing for the U.S. women's national team. So when I think about the U.S. women's national team right now, I still am incredibly bullish. I'm still incredibly excited about the talent that they have, about the talent even over the next nine months that is going to be given opportunities and may star in the World Cup next summer. It might not look like the World Cup team that we have seen win World Cups over the last two World Cups, but it's still going to be American. It's still going to be talented. And I believe it can beat regardless of what uh, is thrown at us from a European perspective or a worldwide perspective. But they're coming. And it's a good thing. So uh, fear not. All right. Let not your heart be troubled. All right. It's not that there aren't problems. It's not that there aren't challenges. But the sky is certainly not falling when it comes to the U.S. women's national team. And it's still deserved of being called the best in the world. And next summer, they'll get another chance to prove it. Mossy, anything before we go? That's it. All right. Listen, I appreciate uh, everybody and your patience, and I appreciate you letting me come to you from the road here in New York. As I mentioned, I'll be here for a few more days, and I'll be back, and we'll be with you uh, next week before I head off to uh, Auckland, New Zealand. And so that should be interesting, and we'll have plenty of stories uh, to tell. Thank you so much to everybody for tuning in, for subscribing, for reviewing, for rating, for doing all the different things that you do. As I mentioned in the previous pod, it's going great and we could not be more thrilled and happy and appreciative of everybody that is being part of this State of the Union podcast 
uh, family that we have there. And each and every week, we just seem to get more and more people that are coming to it. Uh, I recognize that mostly it's uh, for Mossy, but you know, I'm going to be along for the ride here. I'm going to ride uh, Mossy's co coattails. We'll see you again, uh, and we'll talk to you again next week on the State of the Union podcast. And until that time, size the day.